Hi, everyone. Welcome to Money Mochas, a series of short and sweet money teachings to empower your relationship with money. Powerfully potent, these lessons are easily digestible, bite-sized morsels of financial wisdom that pair perfectly with your favorite morning coffee and go down just as easily. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community that I'm honored to lead with love, encouragement, and more than a little dark chocolate. What you're about to hear is a delicious sample of the practical financial tools and personal support you'll find in my flagship program, The Art of Money. The Art of Money offers a comprehensive framework with a nurturing body-based approach to guide and inspire you along your money healing journey. You can dive deeper at barrytesler.com. So wherever you are in your relationship with money, the simple tools shared in today's Money Mocha have the power to create dramatic change. So grab your morning cup, relax, and sip along as you enjoy this Money Mocha. Okay, now, before we dive into this episode, I want to mention that there's some explicit language in this episode. So if that bothers you, or if you're listening with little ones around, I wanted you to be aware that there's a few swear words in this episode. All right, so one of the biggest challenges that people face when trying to make more money is something that most of us don't often think about, but it's something that Fabeku Fatun Mise thinks about and adjusts daily. Fabiku helps people build thriving businesses that are aligned with their superpowers. And one of the ways he's built up his own successful business is by changing his financial identity. Here's Barry and Fabiku talking about it. From our last interview, you talked about financial identity and right. changing that on a daily basis. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, okay. I, 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 I loved it as a concept, so I want you to talk about that. And I've always thought of it like every six months, every year. Yeah, talk about it as a concept and this daily thing, updating it. Yeah, so I think that you know, identity is one of the most important things to update. And people don't do that because that's not an idea that we're given. We're given this idea that who we are is more or less static and we have little changes here and there. But I don't think that that's the case. I think identity is one of the most fluid things that that's connected to any of us. And, you know, we're used to updating our phone every time there's a new release or our browser or our computer. But it's the same thing with our identity. Everything that we do changes who we are. And if, if we're not updating our own understanding of who we are and, and how we're oriented to what we're doing, we're, at some point, that's going to become problematic because identity is the way that we inhabit what we do. And if we're working with an incoherent identity, trying to inhabit what we do from that place, it's just not going to work. Mm. And if we're trying to inhabit a business that's making a half a million dollars a year from the identity that we had when we were making $30,000 a year, all kinds of problems are going to happen because the $30,000 self doesn't know what to do with half a million dollars. It doesn't know what to do with it. It doesn't know how to handle it. It doesn't know how to invest it. It doesn't know how to, how to use it to build the business. And I see that all the time. And I also think that's one of the reasons why people make a bunch of money and then they lose the money really quickly because they're trying to manage it from an outdated identity. Uh, And I think think that's a major problem. So let's pause for a second and let that sink in. When I first heard this concept from Fabeku, I was like, whoa, that explains so much about why I used to have so much trouble increasing my revenue years ago. 
My own identity was wrapped around being a wilderness survival guy who lived in the mountains in a teepee and could survive on $7,000 a year. That's who I felt I was at an unconscious level, and it was really hard to break out of that because my sense of self, my egoic identity, was glued to that financial identity. If you're trying to increase your monthly or yearly income, what is your current financial identity? It's so worth it to grab a journal and sit with that question for a little while. And there's another way that this sense of identity can limit us as we're trying to grow. And the other way I think that the financial identity is directly related to money is that our sense of possibility is directly connected to our sense of identity. And so if you're looking at what's possible for you and your work from an identity that's not present time, that's not coherent, you're going to have a radically different sense of what you can do and what you can make uh, than you would if you were looking at it from an identity that's rooted in who you are now or that's rooted in your superpower or your bigness, right? These concepts of your superpowers and your bigness are central concepts in Fabeku's work. And we're going to come back to them in a little bit. The reason that they're important is because, you know, if when years and years and years ago, when I started building my business, my my top number that I could even conceive of making was $80,000 a year. And that seemed like kind of an abstract number. But that was it. That was kind of the thing. I'm so far past that number at this point. And the first time it happened, it scared me to death. You would think it would have been a cool thing. And it, it was cool for a minute. And then I had this holy shit moment of what does this mean now? And I felt like, interestingly enough, I felt like the floor had dropped out from underneath me because that identity had no idea what to do with the amount of money that I just made. Yeah. And so I think this identity piece is, is one of the most important and least considered elements when it comes to money. It's a big deal. Did you catch that? When Fubeku made a sudden big leap in income, his older identity around money had no idea what to do with the amount of money that he had made. It was almost like the new, larger amount of money was blowing the circuits in his system. Barry and I have both had similar moments like that when we reach new levels of income. And I think it points to the importance of uncovering what your almost unconscious financial identity is and updating it as often as you feel necessary. One of the things that happens for a lot of people when they do this process of updating their financial identity is that they start running into a lot of fears. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. If you've done any kind of personal growth or spiritual growth, you'll be familiar with the kind of fears that can come up when deep-seated aspects of our egoic identity are challenged. And I think the same processes are at work when we do money work. Fears come up when we're growing. In a conversation Barry was having with Michael Ann Volterra, a money coach and founder of the personal finance software called MoneyMinder, Michael Ann spoke to these fears that can come up when we're working on increasing our income levels. People say they want to earn more money, and then they yeah, but. Yeah, but they consistently either don't take action or they sabotage themselves. And, and so it begs the question when people are saying, listen, I've looked at my numbers. I'm really getting clear. I really want to earn more, and here's how much more. I want to move it to the next level, right? Um, and it's not happening. What's going on? And so what, what I think is interesting, and this kind of backs us up just a tiny bit, but what, what is interesting is what is the fear around moving to the next level? Because if we just push through it, it's kind of like you just push through it, and go, just go, 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 move it to the next level. And you're not looking at, okay, and uh, there's a shadow here, 
and there's some fear here and I need to address it. If we don't address the fear, chances are you'll hit the new level and then you'll fall back. And then you'll feel like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with me? And so, mm. you know, what, what I find is there tends to be, you know, four or five really common fears that we can look at. You know, I'd love to make more money, but... And I, I have to say, one of the most common fears is I'd like to make more money, but if I'm really honest, I'm afraid it's going to take too much time. Okay. And, and we, need to, we need to look at that. There, there isn't actually a huge correlation between earning more and putting in more time, but all of us have a, uh, kind of a natural knee-jerk reaction that that is true. Um, you know, I know you've interviewed um, Barbara Stanny, and she's written a lot of books on earning issues. And I remember years ago reading one of her books. I think it was Secrets of Six-Figure Women. And I remember she looked at the fact that women that make over six figures – 40 to 50% of them actually work less than 40 hours a week. Yeah. And it was interesting because we have this opposite assumption, right? So we just need to look at, is our fear, if we take it to the next level, what is the fear? That we would give up something, time? Is our fear that I'd love to make more money, but I'm afraid I can't manage it, which is partly why what you're doing with your community is amazing. You know, the more people feel like they can manage their money, the more they feel like they can handle more flow coming into their life. That's a big deal. It's a huge it, deal. Because it's a whole moment. I mean, my folks talk about that. Some made more money a few months ago in the last few months, and they're like, oh, oh my God, it comes with more energy, more. it comes with feelings. Right. Right? Right. Well, and, there, there's, yeah. there's a conduit. I mean, again, if you go back to the metaphysics, you know, there is an energy of money. Money comes into our life. Money goes out of our life. And when we become um, great stewards of this money resource, it opens up the pipe so that more money can come in. I think the other piece is really plugging our money leaks, you know, because when we leak out money in, for example, not knowing where we spend it, it's really hard for the universe to put more money in because it, it's rather pointless, right? Because it just kind of leaks out. So as, as you help people strengthen the sacred container and conduit in their life of money, their income does go up, and that, that's one of the reasons, right? I think that um, the other piece that keeps us from leaving our, our comfort zone, our status quo, is it's so comfortable, right? <laughs> right. I'm so comfortable where I am. Um, for some of us, the fear is uh, I don't deserve to make more money. For some of us, the fear is if I made more money, it would just get taken away. So, I mean, it's I'm bringing up pretty deep things here, and I, I think that where I want your listeners to go is just to simply journal. You know, I just invite them to, to journal or process this question in a way that works for them. I'd love to make more money, but I'm afraid that what? And just really, really, gosh, you could write for five or ten pages or, or talk to your best friend about it, you know, because that's one of the things that keeps you from pushing against that income ceiling that, that you and I are talking about. Okay, so there's a lot in what Michael Ann just said. Fears around making more money, but wondering if you'd not be able to manage it, or fears around making more money, causing us to leave our comfort zone, or not feeling like you deserve to make more money. All of that is directly related to this concept of financial identity, or as Barbara Stanny puts it, our self-image around money. 
Barbara is one of the pioneers in the area of helping people overcome under-earning. In a conversation Barry had with Barbara, Barbara told a story of a question she got from someone in her community. The question was, what is your opinion of the following? Our personal economy is God's economy. There is plenty of money. And Barbara said, yes. There's plenty of money. The trouble is, it is not evenly distributed. What I believe is, money will go to those of the right mindset. And I believe that when we shift our thinking, when we shift our self-image, we can shift our relationship with money. I've seen it happen. I have seen it happen, as you have, Barry. I've seen it happen with thousands of people. This is not an area that we can just ignore or put to the side or, you know, it's a life garden that needs our attention and our love and our care, not too much, not too little, right? Um, I don't know if there's such a thing as too much. Mm, <laughs> Becoming obsessed is not thing. It, it's not, you don't want to become obsessed because it becomes addictive. But here's the thing. I had a, my, uh, my mentor, his name is Karen McCall. She was the founder of financialrecovery.com, brilliant organization. She was a pioneer in under-earning. And she said to me, you can never get enough of what you don't really need. And that was profound for me because what we do is we overspend, we overeat, we overindulge in everything, trying to fill our hole in our soul. When if we go straight and fill that hole, we, it, it's much more than willpower to change our relationship with money. So from Barbara's perspective, when we change our self-image, our identity, as it relates to money, we can actually change our relationship to money itself. And that, right there, is a core purpose of the work that members do in the Art of Money program. At a fundamental level, they're working on changing their relationship with money for the better. But here's the thing. If you're going to change your relationship to something, it's helpful to know what that something is, right? So what is this thing that we say we want more of? What is money? Answering that fully could lead us down a deep philosophical rabbit hole. And while intellectually fascinating, going all the way down there probably won't ultimately be super helpful for you if you're looking to break through some money ceilings and bring more money into your life. However, I think there are a couple definitions of money that can really help shift your attitudes towards it. Probably the most powerful definition of money is a metaphor that Fabeku uses. For years, he heard that money is energy. And I got it, but it, it, didn't, it, it didn't really do anything for me in a tangible way. Like my brain understood money equals energy, but it, it didn't do anything to change my relationship with money. And at one point I was thinking about it and I, I came to this place of looking at money as fuel in the same way that we put food in our body, we put gas in our cars. You know, it, money is, is this not just energy, but more specifically, it's a fuel that allows us to do what we need to do in our lives. But also it gives us the fuel to fuel things out in the world that mean a lot to us and that we care about. And so to me, somehow looking at money as fuel really brought home the importance of really supporting people and charging what they should be charging yeah. and, and getting to the place where they can receive the appropriate fuel for what, what, what you need, you know? And uh, it's the same thing. If you don't eat proper breakfast in the morning, you feel crappy during the day. If you don't have enough fuel in your business, you feel crappy in your business. It's the same thing, same deal. Mm. And, and can you just say just a teeny bit about like where you were in your 20s? 
or even younger and like what needed to shift inside of you for you to step into a place of money is fuel and this is how I see it and relate to it just a little bit about that shift yeah Yeah. so you know for me when I was in my 20s uh, my dad passed away when I was pretty young Uh, I got a little bit of money from an inheritance blew it in nine months time had zero money had to move out of my uh, my duplex because I couldn't pay the rent uh, spent some time working in corporate jobs that I was really good at and hated like crazy and made next to no money doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really felt like money, in order to make money, that it was kind of out of my hands. It always was was in the hands of someone else. And all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't true. I have the ability to fuel myself with money in the same way that I can fuel myself with every other part of my life. And it was that moment of understanding that but also taking responsibility for that. that helped me move into a place where now, over the last seven or eight years, I built a business that's doing really, really well. Yeah. But it, it started with just the idea that it's in my hands. Mm-hmm. You know, waiting for somebody else to do it, feeling like, or worse, feeling like I'm at the mercy of other people, that's the worst place to be. Another metaphor, one that Fabeku alluded to when he spoke of the money is fuel metaphor, is the way that Michael Ann views it. The way she sees money came out when Barry asked her this question. So how do you answer this question um, that's come up through my community of, um, and I hear it a lot, so if I make a lot of money, then somehow I'm taking away money from other people. Or if I have a lot of money, you know, then I will move into that greedy, da-da-da. But just if I... If I have more, you'll have less. If I have more, you have less. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know. Obviously, we keep saying everything's related, but like the the, the first one, um, there's a lot of ways to answer it. But since we've got a finite time, I'll, I'll answer it this way. Here's one of the confusions that people fall into, and I I fell into this myself. Um, Earth's resources are finite. Money resources are unlimited, and so part of the confusion comes from calling money. A resource. It is a resource, but natural resources are finite. There's, I doubt there's anyone on the call that hasn't heard that there's a finite amount of oil in the earth. And if this is the first time they've heard this, I'm sorry to share that news. But yeah. anyways, um, however, money is different. Money is energy, and and money energy begets money energy. And so, if you are a healer and you charge more money than you, just to give you an example, you charge more money, then you've got money to give to the merchants so that they have more money, and you've got money to hire a virtual assistant. And now and you give them more money. Right, yeah. and you've literally created a job. Money actually creates money. It is sacred. It is a sacred, sacred power. The more money I have made, the more jobs I've created for other people. Mm. It is amazingly wonderful you know I have employed editors and I've employed I mean just like you you know that the the more money you make the more you've employed and you literally create money and gift employment into the world so it's it's one way to think about it so we have to move away from if I have more you'll have less because the the other way to throw it in which is a a little bit more metaphysical but I I know your I know your people can roll with this Yes. It's 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 an energy exchange. Yeah. So if and we need an equitable energy exchange. If if I am giving a, a pretty intense hour of my time, and people are not paying me enough money, it is an un 
equal energy exchange. Eventually, I'm going to be depleted. I'm going to move into resentment. It doesn't feel good for people to be takers. You know, we've got to find the right, it's almost like the right vibration, the right um, energy exchange. So, updating our financial identity to handle more amounts of money coming our way. Money is fuel. Money is energy. Finding the right level of energy exchange for the products and services we put out into the world. All of those are part of this picture we're painting here. But how do we actually go about bringing more money in? For creative entrepreneurs that work with Fabeku, one of the first steps he leads people through is finding out what their superpowers are. Barry asked him to elaborate on this superpower concept, and he said, Yeah, so I think I always had some kind of sense of the superpower part, too, since I was little. I, I didn't have a language for it until several years ago. But what was interesting for me is that the, the, the very things that have come together to allow me to create this thriving business are all of the things that on the surface seem crazy. It made no sense. And not only that, but the things that people said, nobody's going to get this. Don't talk about this. Don't ever bring this into the mix. You should never try to build a business based on this stuff. Every one of those things are the vital elements that have made my business what it is today. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's a really important thing for people because it's usually that thing that you're scared to bring to the table or the thing that people have told you in no uncertain terms, never talk about this. Yeah. That's the thing that's the magnetic fuel that pulls the right people in mm -hmm. and creates that resonance so that they say yes, they move into your orbit, they give you money, you build relationships, you, you support people, and you can do the work in a way that's totally true and coherent to who you are. That's the thing, because it's not just about making money. It's about making money in a way that's energizing and supportive to who you really are at the deepest, most fundamental level. Yeah, yeah. So all those things that we thought were our challenges are crazy bits, right? Yeah. <laughs> all your drumming, all your, your relationship to music and rhythm and coherence and all that. And for me, my sensitivity, that used to feel like this huge challenge instead of no, 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 no. Like, this is how I sense people. This is how I know people feel people, right? Okay. So taking all of that and actually like really fully stepping into that. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Superpowers. All the things about us that may seem crazy on the surface, things that other people tell us customers would never get, so leave it out of your business. But what do these superpowers have to do with increasing our income? Fabeku says, I have a lot of people end up in my world after they've run through all the blueprints. Yeah. They've tried the blueprints, they've tried the formulas. Sometimes they've worked a minute, uh, most of the mm -hmm. time they haven't, and in every case they don't feel good and they're not sustainable. And so I'm about as anti-blueprint as it gets. <laughs> and so, you know, to me, the very first step in working with someone one-on-one -on -one is getting down to their superpower, which really is, is, you know, there's the thing that we do, and then there's this other thing behind the thing. There's this bigger, deeper energy frequency force, something that, that shapes and fuels what we do. And that's the superpower. So my superpower is, is unapologetic freedom, as an example, right? Mm -hmm. And so the first step, when I, anytime I work one-on-one -on -one with somebody, it's helping them get down to their superpower. And then from there, it's about throwing every formula out the window and instead figuring out how do we build a business that revolves entirely around your superpower from what you do, how you do it, who you work with, the value of that superpower, the rhythm of your work, every bit of it. And then finally, at the end of it, 
we get into looking at money. And usually before that, there's elements of identity work, there's looking at money lineage, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. But by the time we finally get to the point of looking at money, all of the static has been removed from the line. There's clarity about who you are. And then you can face forward and look at money in a clear, coherent way that's not wrapped up in lineage stuff. It's not based on comparing what other people charge. It's based on this number feels right for who I am and what I do given my work in the world. If you have a business or you're thinking of starting one, Fabicu just dropped a gem in there. Find your superpowers and then build a business around them. In other words, build a business where what you sell causes you to be deeply engaged in your superpowers. Barry went on to ask Fabeku to go deeper into this superpower uncovering process, and if you're interested in finding out your own superpowers, pay attention to the end of this clip, because there's an important signpost that will let you know when you're getting close to finding it. So, do you want to say more about like how you work? Like, really getting in there and working with people about their uniqueness. My chocolate is melting. I'm going to move it. <laughs> okay, excuse me. <laughs> I get it. No, that's an emergency. Melting chocolate, not good. So melting chocolate and taking it out of the sun. So you just get in there. And is it an easy process? Is it a hard process? Is it layers of unraveling for folks of really having them see who they truly are? And, and really, I always like to say, really know who you are and what you do well and really know what you suck at. Right. I think yeah. those are so important. And as we age and mature, Absolutely. we get to know and claim that more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in terms of it, whether it's easy or not, I think a lot of it depends on where people are, yeah. you know, because one of the big elements that I think that, that every business should be considering is readiness when it comes to their audience, thinking about what people are ready for. Cause in really, when I talk about readiness, what I mean is, is their capacity to receive what it is you're offering. Mm -hmm. And it's a really high priority of mine to work with people who are ready yeah. because when they're ready, that means they can get the most from my work. And that's, that's my bottom line. I want what I do to be critically effective for the people that I work with. But readiness also means that I can show up at hundred percent. I can go kind of full velocity without wondering whether someone's able to really roll with it. Yeah. And I, that's important, you know, because sometimes you know, the idea of getting down to a superpower, it sounds like a fun thing. And it is. I mean, I, I've got the process down. I can make it fun. I can get people there every single time. Mm -hmm. But some of the parts that are tricky, when, when you get down to this thing that's so big, it can start to push the buttons of the parts of us that don't feel so big mm -hmm. and that feel small and that feel scared and that don't feel worthy and that, you know, all of this other stuff. So it's like getting in the vicinity of that bigness kind of kicks all of this other stuff up sometimes. And in order to get there and to be able to work with it, people need to be able to get that and roll with that and move through that, you know? And it's doable, it's always doable. But if someone's not ready, then what happens is you get to the bigness and it feels scary and you just throw it in reverse. Yeah. That's a problem. Okay. That's a problem. So when you get there, it's also like, okay, there's gonna be scariness, there's gonna be resistance, there's gonna be shutdown, there's gonna be, holy shit, like, Absolutely. Can I do this? Can I step through this threshold? Yeah. Every time, every time yeah. I sit down to do the superpower thing with someone, I tell them up front, I don't care what your brain thinks about this because your brain is not going to get it. And I don't care what your smallness thinks because your smallness isn't going to like it. Mm -hmm. And the less you understand this and the more your smallness kicks and protests, the better off we are because that's when I know we're, we're right in the vicinity of what this thing is.
Finding your superpowers is another way of saying that you find what is valuable and worthy about yourself, as you would define it. And Barbara Stanny points out that there's an interesting connection between finding your value and doing what you're scared to do. Barry asked Barbara to tell me about the deep inner work of cultivating um, a more a sense of value. You know, how do you help women grow their sense of value, what worth means to them, all of that's that. A really that's a really good question. Yeah. That's, that, that, that is, as you know, Barry, that is really what's at the bottom of this because there's a yeah. total relationship with personal value, and how much you make. And I noticed when I went, when I wrote Overcoming Under Earning, what I did is I interviewed everybody who had gone through my Overcoming Under Earning workshops. And many of the women had gone, taken their workbooks home and given it to their boyfriends and their husbands. So I interviewed men for that one too. Wait, where, what was the question? <laughs> I just I well, the question. Well, I, I, you, you didn't lose my train of thought, but I'm excited that you also said men can also fit under this category of under-earning. Yeah. My question, oh, my yeah. question was, how do you help women and men oh, oh, no, cultivate value. a sense so, of value? Yeah. So, there's, I'm gonna, I, I, there's two parts to that answer. One, what I realized is the, is those who I interviewed, who really had the mark, remarkable results, who really became higher earners significantly higher earners, had what they called the click. Maybe it wasn't in the workshop, but it was at some point later on that they realized, I deserve to earn more for no other reason than I'm worth it. Those that didn't overcome under-earning, no matter how many ahas they had, they stayed stuck at their earning level. And then I went deeper, and the way you get that click, the way you recognize your value, now, this is the key. Right here is the key, is by doing what you're scared to do. It's by going out of your comfort zone. It's what I call the stretch. Because success in everything, whether it's losing weight or making more money, is always found in that discomfort zone. It's always found just outside where you're comfortable. It's always found in the unpredictable and the unknown. I'd ask under earners, when the last time you did something you thought you couldn't do? And they scratch their heads and oh, I ask high earners. And they'd say, it's a way of life. <laughs> they had, I call it a high earning slogan. If it's not illegal or immoral, I just say yes. <laughs> From finding your superpowers and building a business around that, we're going to shift our focus a bit to the topic of overcoming under earning because I know that not everyone listening to this has an entrepreneurial drive. All this talk about superpowers and doing what you're afraid of is incredible wisdom, but it's a bit more applicable to starting and running your own business. So let's take a broader perspective and see how Barbara and Michael Ann define under-earning. So much of my community is wanting me to they're like, ask Barbara about overcoming under-earning. So because it's such a big issue and it means it so many different it things. And yeah, so please even define because when I first hear that I'm like oh my god that concept drives me crazy and yet it's very real and I kind of think of it as like over giving over yesing under knowing but I know you wrote I mean you wrote an amazing book that's helped so many people so under earning it can be very deceptive an under earner is anyone who earns less than she needs or desires despite her attempts to do otherwise 
you can be making six figures and still be an under earner. Yeah. And you can make far less and not be. My my daughters, I have a I have a farmer, I have a journalist, and I have a nursery school teacher. They're they're all low earners, but they're doing what they love because it meets their needs, it feeds their soul, and they're making enough to live on. They're not going in debt. An under-earner, under-earning is never a conscious choice. It never feeds your soul. It is always a condition of deprivation, and not just deprivation of money, but of time, of joy, of choices, and most of all, of self-esteem. So anyone who says, I'd love to make more money, but, and can't, and they're frustrated, is an under-earner. And for a similar perspective, Michael Ann feels that under-earning is defined as the pattern of earning less money than you need. And you know what's interesting, Barry, that there's, there's a couple things in there. That's what I just said, the pattern of earning less money than you need yeah. is a very kind of old definition of under-earning, okay. kind of mm-hmm. old style. Mm-hmm. That's like... That goes back in the literature 20-plus years. It still makes me feel like, okay, is it okay to thrive? Can I do more than just make what I need? So I think a better definition is it's the pattern of earning below your potential. Okay. And okay. There's, there's two places to go with that. One is it is about a pattern, and that's what I think your listeners really want to think about for themselves this is not about a one-time occurrence. Everybody's income can get hit sometimes. It could be the yep. economy, a bad boss, something happens. You know, that, that, that happens. What under-earning is, is it's a pattern. You know, when we look in our lives, do we see this pattern of consistently underselling ourselves, of consistently earning below our potential? And, and so that, I think, is the other direction to go, Barry, is it's like this is about potential. Okay. And that's super personal. It's super personal. And again, like everything you're saying, there's layers on. I know, you know there's right? There's so much depth, right? Because a few things to acknowledge. One, you're saying in life, life happens, divorces, death, right. babies, all of that happens that can impact. And that right? doesn't mean that you're, quote, an under-earner. It's, okay. The real question is, is this something when you look through your life, you know, if you look back over the past five, 10, 20 years, does it keep happening? Do you keep earning below your potential? And that's where you have to be like, okay, I'm going to have a lot of compassion for myself. I'm, I'm, I'm just open to looking at this, and I'm curious because this seems to not be something that has only happened once. And so that tells me there's something underneath it, and that's where you get to explore it as a, as a, a fairly deep personal growth um, piece to go into. And sometimes, when you're working on uncovering those patterns, you might discover something unexpected. Barry feels that... In my world, when we're talking about under-earning, mm-hmm. I know people who've made well beyond six figures right. and are just working so many hours right. that they feel like, or I would put them in the category of under-earning because their time, their mm-hmm. energy, their self-care... Right. Is really being hit and really being impacted. So they're making a nice salary and yet the amount of hours to work for that. So for me, that falls 
under this umbrella or under this definition. Yeah. Well, and I yeah I agree. You know how I think about it is if we get into the almost the metaphysics of energy, um, you really can't divorce time from money from energy, which is what you're saying. You know, it's time, money, energy, time, money, energy, and the goal is not to make as much money as humanly possible and spend as much time pursuing money as humanly possible. There's got to be a right balance for everyone um, in their life. And, you know, it, I'm, I am super about life balance and, and the relationship between time and money. It has to work for me. It has to work for my family. If I'm not taking care of myself, really what is the point of this, you know? So it it is very, very, very personal. And, you know, there's an interesting thing, Barry. It's kind of like the flip side of what you were just talking about under-earning is not about underworking either because there's a lot of people that work extremely hard and make uh, put in a lot of hours and they're not making as much money as it feels like they should and it's also not about underachieving and I think that's where it gets frustrating because there there are people that oh my goodness they're amazing they they just do stellar work and they really do amazing things for their clients. And everyone else thinks they must likely be making more money than they really are, right? And so it just, it's almost like you can get into the imposter syndrome with this. It's, it's not about underworking or overworking or underachieving or overachieving. It's the right balance for you between time and money and energy where you're working at your potential in a way that feels good for you. So... This is good. We know that under-earning is a pattern of earning below your potential, but what does it look like when we're under-earning? How do we actually bring this upon ourselves? In Barry's conversation with Michael Ann about this, at one point, Michael Ann said, Are you okay if I give you, you know, kind of five or six just common examples that might be helpful? I love what you're doing. I love that you're slowing me down. So my community, <laughs> my community just did four months of money healing. We're now in the practical, so now I'm a little bit like go go go. <laughs> I love that you're slowing us down, and you're actually naming everything that we've been through, or that my folks will want right. to go back to and do another layer of, or that they're still working on. So, and just a quick bit of context here: when Barry is talking about her community and the four months of money healing that they just went through. What she's referring to is the hundreds of members inside the Art of Money program. At the time this conversation happened with Michael Ann, the members of the program had just finished the first phase of the program, the money healing phase. So Barry was really glad that Michael Ann was steering the direction of the conversation towards something that was perfect for the members of the program to hear right then, at the part of the year-long journey that they were in. I love where you're taking us. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, your community is so fortunate to have you because it really is like, okay, step one, step two. Um, and so if we look at, you know, in terms of your community, looking at what, what's happened, that there are a lot of common ways that people under-earn. And you'll hear me sometimes switching between the word under-earning and sometimes under-selling. And, you know, they, they're related. Um, the most common ways that people under-earn is that they come into a job too low, right? They, they accepted the initial, let's say it's a salary, and they didn't negotiate for more. Then the other thing that happens is people wait too long to ask for a raise. And when they do ask for a raise, they don't ask for enough. 
And if they're self-employed, it looks like this. They, they come into the market, their initial fees are set too low, and there's a lot of emotional stuff that goes into that that we can talk about. Um, the other way that a lot of self-employed and creative people under-earn is they don't raise their fees often enough. It's like they, they, a client comes in and they say, okay, $50 an hour, and then it's like there's an unconscious contract that says, I will never raise your fees ever, you know, and then five years go by, and they're still paying them $50 an hour. So it's very common that they don't raise their fees often enough. Um, and then when they do raise fees, people that struggle with earning issues, earning issues won't raise them by enough money. So okay. those are really common. And then at the, just kind of a couple other ones to throw in, under-earners struggle with marketing themselves. You know, it's hard to make money whether you're self-employed or not, if no one knows that you're there and what you're doing. Um, but you know what I have found a lot of times happens is under-earners, they stay too long. They they stay in a job that's comfortable or maybe they're self-employed and it's just been this way for so long. And certainly they can't command more money in their field because certain fields are structured differently, and they stay and they stay okay. and they stay. You know, so that's why it, it can be a very tender issue because people have a lot of feelings around, uh, it, it can feel overwhelming to say, oh, I wish I would have moved or left my job or, you know, whatever it was perhaps five years ago, and yet here I am five years later. Um, sometimes under earners, just a couple more examples, they don't have a career plan, and it's hard to make more money if you don't have a, a, a plan. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you, there's a lot of themes, we can talk about different themes, but a lot of times the under-earners are a little bit on the invisible side. You know, they're yeah. not asking for more money, whether they're self-employed or not. And we can talk, I think it'd be fun for us to talk about kind of traits that, that people have. But one thing I noticed is under-earners get angry that the world is so unfair, because honestly, we shouldn't even have to have this conversation, Barry. Everyone should earn plenty of money. Everyone should be paid with their worth. Everyone should, you know, quote, not struggle with this. And so it can feel very frustrating in the, our universe that we actually have to stick up for ourselves and ask for what we're worth and demand more yeah. money. And it's like so frustrating for different personality types, for some personality types more than others, that they have to step up and be super visible and ask. And it can be so uncomfortable. Yeah, yes. Yeah, to be an advocate for ourselves. I wrote that word when you were talking about it's right. hard to market. I wrote the word visible, you know, that it's, it's hard for some of us and we need to learn how to become more visible. Okay, great, you say. We know what under-earning is and how it shows up, but how the heck do we overcome it? Well, Barbara Stanley shared a great little exercise to help get the process started. And she actually turned the tables on Barry and asked her to share the results of her doing the exercise along with the listeners. I'm wondering, yeah. in terms of the inner work, I have an exercise. It's very short and very quick. Do you think your listeners would like to engage in this? Yeah. Okay? Yes. Okay, so Barry, you can do this too if you like. So I want everyone listening, if you so desire to close your eyes and I want you to kind of go back just take a deep breath and go back and imagine 
What is your first memory of money? Don't, don't try too hard. Just see what comes up. What is your earliest memory of money? Take a few minutes and let you see it. If nothing comes up, it'll, it'll come up later. Not to worry when you're taking a shower, you're driving to work. So take that memory and freeze frame it like a photograph. In that moment that is now freeze framed in your memory, you made a decision about money. And that decision is probably totally unconscious. But it's, it is totally driving your relationship, shaping your relationship with money, whether you realize it or not. And it's usually a very irrational decision. And for example, I was standing on these, these, these little stairs um, brushing my teeth. So I must have been like three or four years old. And I turned to my mother and I asked her about how much allowance she got. And she gave me this look. She didn't say a word. She gave me this look like, you don't talk about money. And I made a decision. You do not talk about money. And when I was going through all my crap with, with my money, with all those tax bills, with all my husband uh, gambling, I was in therapy and I never talked. I talked about my sex life, but I never talked about money to anyone. So, Barry, do, do you want to share what you got? or oh, if man. anybody wants okay. To? Wow, okay, sure. Um, it, it wasn't probably my earliest, but it was actually when I was maybe 15 years old. I mean, I got a few images but of me spending money on clothes and wanting candy and all that as a kid. But really the image that stuck was me, my father, asking me who to go apply for jobs and then come back and report to him how they went. And I had to go seek out a certain amount of jobs. And, I, you know, this was at 15 or 16 years old. So I was asked in my middle-class family um, to go get a job. Okay, so you were asked. So yeah. how did you feel about that, Barry? Um, I, was, I was both mad about it, scared about it, and, you know, eventually empowered by it. But at but, that moment, that moment you made a decision. You made a yeah, decision I, about work. What was it? Um, ooh, you can hear my or, voice. Mm. I'm a little shaky. Um, it was more just like, uh, well, here we go. I am not going to depend on a man for money. I am going to make my own. How do you like that? Hmm. Now, this, this is beautiful. Because, <laughs> I mean, these memories can be very helpful if yeah. they serve you. Yeah, yeah. But and there can be and, some part of that memory oh, yeah. that interferes oh, yeah. with your relationships with men and drives you past where you want to be driven. Yes, luckily I've been working on that for years. <laughs> yes, but very That's true. That's why you're so good at helping others, my darling. <laughs> very true. But, yes, that certainly played out, and that's why, you know, I didn't even want to get married. You know, I, I, got mar I met my husband at 32, got married at 35. I wasn't interested, you know. I was yeah. very independent and then finally turned all that up on its head, you know, and I could just be me and my husband could be him and all that. So, mm. yes. And, you know, I'm glad that she made that decision about not wanting to depend on a man to make money for her because when Barry and I first met, I was not very good at earning money. 
She wasn't either, but slowly, side by side, we both got better and better at it, and eventually merged our finances and a handful of years after that, started working together in the same business. Working together to not only overcome our under-earning, but also to go beyond that and build a lifestyle that we both dreamed of. But back when we first got together, for both Barry and I, like most folks who are working on overcoming under-earning, there were reasons that we were stuck in that cycle. Barry was talking with Michael Ann about this and told her, You talk about reasons you may not be earning at your potential. Yeah, and reasons so about, you say you're not really clear about how much money you should be making. Mm -hmm. Yeah, meaning you're not, you haven't sat down. This seems obvious and simple, but it's not. Right? you want to talk about that more of sitting down and really understanding what you or your family needs, wants, desires at this time? Right. That, actually, that, that, that's a great place to go. That it, it does sound obvious, and yet you and I know um, in this field it's not. Many people are not clear how much money they actually need to earn, and they're not clear how much they want to earn. Right, and they can be two different numbers. But, but either way, there's this feeling sometimes of, oh, my gosh, I'm not making enough. I'm not making enough. I'm not making enough. And I just want to make more. And I just want to make more. And yet, again, if you go into, you know, for example, we could go into the whole law of attraction, you would never call up a catalog company and say, send me a shirt. You know, that's like when you put out to the universe, I need to make more money. It's like, well, no, send me a red blouse size medium. Oh, then I can fulfill that order, right? So when you really get into looking at money and really trying to earn more money because you're frustrated about not earning enough, one of the first places to go is, okay, how much money do I need to earn to have a satisfying, balanced lifestyle? And what, what is that number? And that's where, like you know, in your community where people are, getting in touch with their numbers, yeah. right? Getting in touch with, well, what are they spending their money on? And what is the lifestyle that they want to craft? What is the lifestyle that they want to create? And what are the numbers that they put around that? Because it's so different for all of us with different family sizes and where we live. And, you know, it, it's, it's a very personal number, but nonetheless, there's a number, right? Yeah. And so, you know, for you, the listener, when you look at where you're spending your money, the flip side of that is how much money do you need to earn to live that lifestyle that you're looking at that you're looking at right now? Okay. So you and I share this, of course, right? And you know, I call it the people call it a budget, or mm-hmm. I call it the money map, and I like to get people to map out what are your basic needs, lifestyle, right. That's the need. You know, the want is more what's your comfortable lifestyle, and the desire is more of your ultimate lifestyle, right? Those are the things I'm currently using, right? Yeah, and we haven't desires. Exactly. We haven't gotten to that yet in our journey. That's the final phase. But some of folks, some folks are already starting to, you know, look at their numbers and set up a system and start to review from the past what they've spent. Okay, so let me unpack that last bit a little for you because. It's a key point in the process of overcoming under-earning. Michael Ann spoke of getting clear about what your number is, about how much money you actually want to make. And Barry takes it a step further and breaks it out into three tiers of lifestyles. In the year-long program, she goes into great depth on this topic, but 
Just to give a quick overview of her thoughts on this right here, here's how to turn this into a little exercise. To get really clear on these numbers, it's super helpful if you've been tracking your income and spending because that'll give you a stake in the sand, so to speak. That allows you to say, okay, this is how much I'm earning and spending now, and it's giving me this particular level of lifestyle. Then you map out how you define three different levels of lifestyle, and you write out how much you would be earning and spending at each level. The bottom level is basic needs. This is the bare minimum, just getting by level of lifestyle. The next one up is the comfortable level. You're doing better than just getting by at this level. You're comfortable, but things can get better, which leads us to the next tier on the map, the ultimate lifestyle. Here, you're living at your dream level in every facet of your life, however you define it. So what Michael Ann and Barry were just talking about is to get super clear on your desired numbers for each level of lifestyle. And by doing this, by getting that clear, you'll help yourself overcome under-earning. And in this process, you'll hopefully get really clear on how much money you want to make in this coming year. And even then, you might be aiming too low, which means that maybe, just maybe, you're still a bit tangled around money. But what happens when you get untangled? Barry asked this of Fabeku, and heads up, here comes a couple of F-bombs. What is the one thing that you see shift in people when they get, as you say, unfucked around money? Uh, I think that they have a wide open sense of possibility, mm. you know, because it's interesting to me the way that things change when I start working with people. There's there's a there's a, a client of mine that I worked with worked with for years. At the start of the year, I said, "So tell me how much money you want to make this year." And she told me, and I said, mm, that, "That number doesn't make any sense. That that number seems so low and not coherent with who you are." And I said, "How about we double that number?" And she was like, "Holy shit! Oh, uh, okay." She's made triple that number this year and she gets it and she gets why because she's open and available to that possibility and she knows and that's been updating identity it's been doing coherent work it's been building a business structure that's based on her superpower and it's being available to the possibility of more that ultimately at the end of the day is what my work is about making people available to the possibility of more and when you get unfucked around all this stuff about money all of a sudden, my $80,000 that I could never see going past, that number doesn't even make sense to me anymore, given where I'm at. In order to create something bigger and newer, you have to be available to the possibility. That's the first step. You can't build the business or the life or the bank account or the relationship or whatever it is if that possibility isn't accessible to you. But when you plug into it and when you plug into your superpower, not only are you open to a new set of possibilities, but you plug into a new set of capabilities that allow you to do exactly that. That's the thing. Mm. That's the thing. Mm. <laughs> Man, that makes me just want to go put on a superhero suit like like an Iron Man suit and go make all kinds of awesome happen around the world. And in a way, that's what we try to help the members of our Art of Money program do. Put on their superhero suits and make life a whole lot better as a result of changing their relationship to money. Thank you so much for tuning in to this Money Mocha. I hope you enjoyed some inspiration along with your morning cup and that you feel empowered to write a new chapter in your relationship with money. After all, money touches everything in our lives. If you feel called to wade deeper here, pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person, 
My holistic framework blends therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. So if you are ready to begin your money healing journey with the art of money today, you can learn more at barrytesler.com.